Hey, this is Michael Walls. I'm a biomedical engineer and neurotech consultant. I like scraps because it reminds me of those great conversations you have while grabbing a bite and a beer with colleagues or mentors at a conference. It gives me a front row seat to conversations I wouldn't necessarily be privy to and learn things I wouldn't normally get elsewhere. If you like the podcast as much as I do, don't forget to subscribe and rate it in your preferred app. Hey, this is Arun. And this is Jojo. And this is Scraps Bioelectronic Medicines. This is your podcast where we, on your behalf, find amazing sparks of scientific brilliance. And if you're wondering where Scraps came from, it's the word sparks spelled backwards. This season, we are calling our series as Scraps Bioelectronic Medicines, where we explore the stories of medicines that quite literally get on your nerves. Before we go any further, can we ask you to do a couple of things? Please visit our website, scrapspodcast.com, and subscribe to our newsletter. We promise to not share your details with anyone else. And more importantly, the newsletter is a place where we can share with you extra content, ideas, and information that doesn't always make it into the episodes. Once you've complied with Arun's request, it's my turn. Go ahead and unlock your phone once again and open up the podcast app that you're listening to right now. Please submit a rating and leave a review for us. And before we start, can we state up front that we are not here to sell a product or sell an agenda, but merely to report on the state of the art to inform, educate and engage you, our dear listener, who has decided to lend your eardrums to us for this episode. We rely on donations for our production and have a commitment that 100% of the donations will be used for the production of the new episodes. Okay, Arun, can we get back to the topic today? Absolutely. And what are we telling our audience about today? We are going to tell them about medicines that quite literally gets on their nerves. Arun, that sounds like some kind of a leech or even an ex-boyfriend that gloms on like some rabid dog and latches on so hard that you can't shake it off. Oh no, not quite that dire. You've been spending far too much time reading about what only the general public are talking about, Elon Musk and mind control. So do one thing. Take a deep breath. Really? A deep breath? Yes. Okay, here we go. Breathe out and refocus once again. Okay, that felt good. Great. What was I saying before? So we're going to talk about how our body is so intricately wired, yet most people are so conditioned to think only about the molecular medicines. But there is a whole axis of control in our body that we have just learned to ignore. (laughs) Ignore? Nope, not me. I don't ignore anything. Not a single thing. Not once have I ever ignored anything. Except maybe a parking ticket or my mother's advice or maybe even the little voice inside my head that tells me to put down that last cookie. (laughs) Well, by ignore, I mean kind of brainwashed to believing that only molecular medicines that target the cellular processes are the ones that are key to treating disease. But there is a whole different mechanism that exists. Want me to give you an example? Yes, please. I think that would help me. Okay. Why do you think a person starts breathing deeply even before they feel breathless 
while running up a flight of stairs. Or most of us who are so conditioned to being on the Zoom the last couple of years will know very well as to why the first meeting after a heavy lunch on a weekday is the time that they feel extremely comatose. Mm, food coma. I like that example. I'm very familiar with that example. Exactly. In both cases, it is the nerves in the body that suss out what the demands of the body are and is what it, the demands are going to be and send signals to the brain in response to a physical activity in the context of running up a flight of stairs or having a full meal. Those signals modify our body state slightly to ensure that we meet our demands. So you're saying that even before I get breathless, then my nerves make me breathe deeper and maybe even faster. And I have my nerves, but not tryptophan to blame for feeling sleepy after a heavy meal. Yes. When you have a heavy meal, the blood flow in the body gets rerouted to the gut to aid digestion while transiently reducing blood supply to the brain. When that happens, the carbon dioxide levels build up very transiently and makes one feel extremely sleepy. I love it. Next time, you know I'm going to nerd out on my kids with this one. They're all grown up now and they just love it when I explain things like this to them. But I want to make sure I get it right. So what you mean to say is that bioelectronic medicines is all about these nerves. But I just want to clear this up. You didn't mention the brain or the spinal cord. Everything that I know from being in the field, this is what people will use as the prototypical examples. So what are you hiding, Arun? Oh, I didn't say that at all. In fact, it is the opposite. The reason why we wanted to do the season, as you know, Jojo, is because we wanted to ensure that every single aspect of how nerves control the human body and its bodily functions are addressed. So what most people will describe as the traditional neuromodulation is very much part of the conversation. Okay, so what about neuroprosthetics? I mean, you got to rank a system that makes a person with a spinal cord injury able to walk pretty high up there. I mean, that, that rates highly, right? Of course. But can we pause for a second and rather than get into the flow about throwing in a bunch of terminologies and jargon, make a concerted effort to help people understand the field? Yeah, when we first discussed this, it was just mind-blowing. I mean, what was extremely exciting to me was how we decided to organize it. Because honestly, no one is even doing it and everyone comes up with their own definition. So what did we do that got you so excited? You know me, I got excited about our definition, of course. No, Jojo, come on. No, we came up with our own framework to organize the field that helps to make sense. Can we share it with everyone now? I can't wait. Good. Got a small piece of paper? And for those who don't, go to the episode description and click on the link to the schema. Wait a second, though. Before you go any further, we have to add, the previous instruction only applies to people who aren't driving or performing surgery. I see what you did there. Well done, Jojo. Okay, go ahead. Let's get started. Okay. So let's start with the most basic definition of what bioelectronic medicines are. Nerves are the information superhighway in the body. Whether you like it or not, see it or not, hear it or not, the nerves do their job and are needed for both voluntary and involuntary functions. So voluntary, you mean like I want to swallow my delicious piece of chocolate cake and involuntary is something like breathing as we will all breathe whether we are awake or asleep, right? 
Correct. Okay, everyone knows about the brain and how the brain controls many of the emotional and cognitive aspects of our life. The brain regions constitute the central nervous system and the ones outside the brain, like the spinal cord, and every other nerve trunk that emanates from the spinal cord is part of that autonomic nervous system. And the basic underlying principle that governs the functioning of our nervous system is electricity. Yes, electricity produced by small ions. And these ions, like sodium, potassium, move in and out of the nerves. And this is propagated like a wave, like what the fans do at a sporting event. A Mexican wave from one part of the body to another. So the field of bioelectronic medicines is one which uses electricity to modify body functions. Absolutely. And one needs to understand how these electrical signals are in health and disease so it can be modified. So hang on. What you're telling me is eerily similar to molecular medicines. Like you can have a type of stimulation to increase signaling like an agonist in pharmacology or reduce molecular processes and prevent a function from happening like an antagonist. You got it. Yeah. Okay. All right. So explain this in the context of existing devices to start with. Okay. Let's, Let's take the first example. Deep brain stimulation in its very simplistic form stimulates areas in the brain that have reduced neurotransmitter levels called dopamine and this is usually the area in the brain called basal ganglia and stimulating this region reduces the tremors that are associated with Parkinson's. Spinal cord stimulation on the other hand uses parameters that prevents the pain signals from going to the brain and therefore perform electrical trickery to tell the brain that everything is okay and no pain signals is traveling towards the brain. And that's how it reduces pain. Awesome. This makes sense. We're going to make the first category of bioelectronic medicines, deep brain stimulation and spinal cord stimulation devices. But I must say, what you said sounds awfully similar to a cardiac pacemaker. Bingo. They did evolve from the cardiac pacemakers. A few cool clinicians and engineers decided that if it works for a beating heart, or a heart that doesn't beat enough, it must work for the brain and spinal cord. So I always refer to them as hammers looking for a nails approach. Mm, Why? Because they had a tool and they went about looking for a use case. And history is thought is that, that once these devices are proven to be safe, in one indication, the manufacturers will fund research studies for almost any other indication trying to find a use. So it is a hammer searching for a nail without differentiating if what it is going to hit is going to be a hardened nail or a Phillips head screw or a hex screw. And by design, these are open looped, meaning that they stimulate at a given parameter, frequency, current, etc. Yes, and now hardware is being improved to make them sense what is going on in the brain and stimulate accordingly. Much like how some of the later generation pacemakers was able to increase the heart rate in response to exercise. But for the sake of simplicity, let's refer to them as devices that evolved from the cardiac pacemakers. Okay, I got that one. But I have another question about Elon Musk. What is the crazy thing that he's apparently trying to do? Is he trying to control how people are feeling? I mean, it seems like Bill Gates and the COVID vaccine. Stop following Zuckerberg into the metaverse, Jojo. 
Honestly. I was only kidding. But seriously, I mean, part of these people are what we call the musketeers. Oh, is that what we're calling them now? Yeah, why the hell not? Okay, go on. You know more about them. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what I think I know. Brain-computer interfaces, or brain-machine interfaces, were discovered for the first time in 2006 by Lee Hochberg and many others who worked to improve the lives of people with tetraplegia. They used electrodes implanted in the brain, specifically the cortex, to enable people to communicate with the external world to translate their thoughts into actions. And you referred to them as musketeers because? Well, I mean, because I was on Facebook, of course. No, I'm just kidding. I call them musketeers because nobody's come up with a better name yet, and because Elon Musk decided that he's in the game to implant chips. But the way he has gone about it has irked quite a few people in the area. While trying to perform a publicity stunt for hiring, he has also become the butt of many jokes and memes. But there are some very cool companies in this space, though. And this area seems to be quite hot in terms of investment that some of the Silicon Valley VCs have made. Yes, so the two that we covered is the hammer looking for the nail pacemaker-like devices and the musketeers. What's the third? Remember I said that there were some existing device companies that have learned to modify their current systems to enable them to read the brain signals and differentiate from what is good from the bad, the healthy from the diseased, and therefore have the brain pacemaker react to the recording data rather than provide stimulation like the way they used to do, like a horse with blinkers on. And this is the third group, where machine learning and artificial intelligence is being used to enable closed-loop therapies, starting with the neurological disorders like Parkinson's as a good example. Yep, these are what I call the self-proclaimed cool kids. No one really knows whether they are cool enough or not, but they are currently faking it until they can make it. There are some really good examples of fantastic technology, but time will tell how it pans out for things beyond deep brain stimulation. And these companies and research groups are developing apps and software that compare with an existing hardware, and the software and algorithm are offered as a, as a SaaS model. SaaS as in software as a service? Yep. Holy crap. There's already so much diversity in bioelectronic medicine, but hang on, there's still more. So the fourth category is what I call as target practice, which is throwing darts at the dartboard in World Championship and seeing which one will stick in the right point zone. Jokes apart, everything that I've mentioned so far deals with electrical stimulation. Literally, current sent via a wire to excite the nerve or a bunch of nerves. But this category uses targeted modalities that can be applied non-invasively Ultrasound and magnetic stimulation comes to mind immediately. These are already reasonably well-examined projects in neurology space, and it's promised to help some very difficult-to-treat disorders that traditionally have deserted even biopharma. We have some really cool episodes on this in the series, so we won't take much time on this beyond that right now. So this group is the non-electricians, but the Dr. Magnetos and the Dr. Sonic Hedgehogs of the world... Okay, so what's the next category? The last category of vertical in the bioelectronic medicines framework here is what I call as novel therapeutics. Remember, it used to be called Electroceuticals Jojo for just one day before a copyright claim came crashing down? 
after the release of the Nature Commentary, published in 2013. Oh yes, we got that cease and desist order too. So since then, these folks have claimed the moral term of bioelectronic medicines and have been coy in sharing it with others. But honestly, this is the one that has the most potential, bigger patient impact and much bigger economic and societal impact potential. Okay, before we get on to the impact part of this, I do want to talk about the definition of bioelectronic medicines and how... (laughs) Because when we got the cease and desist order, same time you guys did, we were also launching the journal, which we were going to call Electroceuticals. And then the cease and desist order came in. We had like three hours because we had to submit it to PubLine. We had three hours to come up with a name. So that's... That's part of the backstory on that one. Chris Zura, Margo Puerta, I think Mark Lambert was there. And I. we all sat there and we had tequila shots and just like, this name, no, this name, no, this name, no, this name. Um, but another part of that exercise and launching that journal included a definition or an attempt at a definition for bioelectronic medicine. And I hope that's something that we can take a look back and, and review now seven years later and and see what it looks like and how it compares to how people define bioelectronic medicine today. And I hope I hope it's I hope it's a good foundation but I also hope that it's evolved since then. Absolutely and that is exactly what we will do during the course of this series and test drive this framework to see if the definition that is already existing out there encompasses it or if that needs to be modified in a certain way to include some of the more recent uh, breakthroughs and technologies and innovations. And the people, too, because the, they're, they're important. But I, I diverted from, from where we were going with this. You were about to tell us about the bigger impact on society and the economy and what bioelectronic medicine is going to mean therapeutically. So please continue. Think about the potential of having a nerve to a certain organ. And the way to selectively target one specific function, either because the nerve that you've chosen is selective for just that particular organ, or you've figured out a way to selectively target one particular function. For example, in the earlier season of Scraps, we discussed a therapy where a wearable worn on the hand was used to stimulate the median nerve that ultimately helps treat essential tremor. Or other examples like stimulating the pressure sensors in the body to treat heart failure and many others. So does vagus nerve stimulation for arthritis count? Yes, it does. We have some comments reserved for it when the time comes. So essentially, we've outlined five major pillars of bioelectronic medicines. The hammer looking for the nail, which is traditional deep brain and spinal cord stimulation. The musketeers or brain-computer interfaces the self-proclaimed cool kids in data and digital, the dart throwers in targeted stimulation and novel therapeutics. Weren't you working on the last vertical in your previous role? Yes, that's correct, yeah. Okay, so where does neurotechnology fit in? This is a very interesting question. I think the field of neuroprosthetics required a whole set of technology to be developed to make paralyzed individuals to operate their bodily functions. Finally tonight, President Obama had an unforgettable handshake this past week in Pittsburgh when he met with a pioneer on the frontiers of medicine and technology. President Obama shook this robotic hand 
30-year-old Nathan Copeland could feel the firm grip, as if it were his own hand. Copeland is paralyzed from the chest down after a car accident in 2004 injured his spinal cord. Lots of things are hard. Picking cups up, regaining the ability to do things can really change someone's life. President Obama was clearly impressed. Does everybody fully grasp what's going on here? And in exchanging a fist bump, <laughs> both men could feel a sense of history. Sensation is such an important part of figuring out what it is we're touching and how to touch it. Is it soft? Is it hard? Is it hot? Is it cold? And the next step is to miniaturize all of this for eventual use outside the lab. And some of the most foundational work for the field was done in this area in the last 30 years. A lot of our understanding in how we stimulate nerves comes from this area. That's so true. The traditional area of neuroprosthetics has now morphed into neurotechnology, where multiple aspects of engineering, including material science, signal processing, electronics, they've all come together to make a device that would help develop a neuroprosthetic. So one of the best examples is the Network Neuroprosthetic, or the NNP, from Case Western Reserve University's Biomedical Engineering Center. Absolutely. A fantastic achievement, and it only took them... 20 years or so to get it through regulatory approval. And the five verticals that we refer to all use certain or most elements of neurotechnology secret sauce. However, the recipes might be different for each of the vertical. I hope it makes sense. Yeah, I think it does. A brain-computer interface might require a different set of neurotechnology ingredients to a non-invasive targeting methodology to a novel therapeutic that targets a new nerve about two millimeters or less in diameter. Now let's add to the mix that the devices need to be made much, much smaller. What we're looking at today, and a device that was recently developed, is 27 times smaller than the original spinal cord stimulators, and those resemble a pacemaker. So all of this is neurotechnology, and we qualify neurotechnology as a platform technology to enable the verticals that we described. Okay, we promised something at the beginning that we haven't addressed as yet. We said that there will be something in this for the investors. But so far, we've only described things from a scientific strategy perspective. Can we talk about it from an economic perspective, Jojo? Yes, yes, yes. And I'm much more comfortable with economics. What I really like about the model that we're proposing is that it solves two conundrums in the area. One... Most of the companies we know and have that have been successful so far in the area overlap with more than one vertical. For example, a brain-computer interface company might develop a novel neurotechnology to interface with specific regions of the brain. So that's neurotechnology. But then, that same company has to be focused on one type of disease population and also be heavily grounded in data for closed loop. So you can see how the verticals can actually merge. But in reality, for a given company, at any given stage, one can make a clear determination using our framework what type of investment is needed and how that investment will be used. How this investment will be used will be dictated by what type of efforts are needed. Is it to build the hardware? Or build data systems? Or go into disease populations? So they can justify and describe how the company is structured at any given stage? That raises an interesting question. Do the venture capital investors really understand this area well? 
That is a loaded question, Jojo. You know why? Because the medical device venture capital is an offshoot of the traditional Silicon Valley investor model from the 70s and the 80s, force-fitted to the biopharma model, which takes far too long and is too risky with low return on investment, to then being force-fitted to a shorter time window-based model for medical devices like cardiac pacemakers and catheters. So you're telling me that investors don't entirely appreciate the nuances of bioelectronic medicines. Oh, it's much more than that. I spend truckloads of my time talking to investors and it is super interesting. The biopharma investors think bioelectronic medicines as a remit of the medical device venture capital investors. The medical device or medtech investors want data and humans as quickly as possible because that's how the medical device world works. For example, a pacemaker is a pacemaker is a pacemaker. And same is true for a heart valve. Once you know or once you've proven that a pacemaker or heart valve works in a particular way, then the new innovation is predominantly in engineering and design. And it is about making the prototype smaller, faster, and then ultimately making it safer and testing it in the clinical studies. The traditional med device ecosystem. But then you take a novel therapeutic, targeting a huge population with a key unmet need, and a nerve stimulation approach using a novel nerve target that can treat this huge unmet need. No one really understands about who goes about funding them. This is a big problem in the area. And then on top of that, if you add data and technology, I think it becomes a deep tech meets life sciences problem, a scenario that blows everyone's mind and is so different from what everyone else knows or has heard of so far. But this hasn't stopped investments in this space, has it? Oh, heck no. Okay, then let's tell you about some big movers and shakers. There are three primary indicators. There are more companies that have IPO'd in the last five years than ever before in the history of medical devices. And the ones with the biggest market caps are bioelectronic medicine companies. The return on investment on a successful exit and future market cap is eye-wateringly clear. An investment of around 80 to $100 million in total to take a product through to pivotal trials rakes in approximately 10 to 12 times its value in the first IPO. Early stage investments in bioelectronic medicine companies, which is mostly in novel therapeutics, has shot up dramatically by two to three times. The average Series A pre-money valuation is much higher in the last two years than ever before. And two additional pharmaceutical companies, as you mentioned, have realized that bioelectronic medicines is the way to go for them as an additional innovation arm and have invested what one can suspect close to 50 to $70 million in one case and a straight-out acquisition for over $300 million of a technology that barely finished preclinical validation, as most people believe in the area. This makes it an interesting, and to be honest, a little puzzling to the onlooker. While the world is focused on what Elon Musk is saying and doing, the actual experts in the field seem to be working on a different dimension, undeterred by this viewpoint and in totally tangential direction that the world has barely taken notice of. We're here to change all of that, starting with this season. Scraps will create the first compendium of information for the field that has not yet existed before, and via that process, we hope to educate, inform, 
and engage each one of you about this new, exciting area of medicine that we have been privy to for quite a while. Let's peel the veil, shall we? It starts from episode two. And if you liked what you heard, please support us by leaving a rating and more importantly, sharing information about us via your network. You can send us questions that you want us to address during the season. Send them to scrapspodcast at gmail.com. Arun and I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, Cortec Neuro and Surtech Medical. Their generous support helps to pay for part of the production costs of Scraps, and we couldn't be happier to welcome you to the family. Swaminathan Tingyana Samandam performed the mixing and mastering. Scraps is a volunteer-run organization that depends on donations to bring these episodes to you. If you would like to know more about how to support us, go to our support page at scrapspodcast.com slash donate. So that's it for now. We'll be back in the next episode with some really cool ways in which bioelectronic medicine is impacting an area that even pharmaceutical companies deserted a decade ago. Now there is new hope with bioelectronic medicines. Stay tuned.